listeners, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we discuss carbon markets and the upcoming COP28 climate conference. Ahead of UN climate talks next week, there are questions whether the conference can deliver results in phasing out fossil fuels and accelerating the transition to a decarbonised world. And what could it mean for carbon markets and the renewables rollout in Europe? Meanwhile, CO2 prices have been on a downward trend and have hit fresh one-year lows this week. Could the COP provide impetus to the EU emissions trading scheme, or will bearish factors continue to weigh on the market in the coming weeks and months? Helping me, Richard Svarsson, to address the key issues in Europe's carbon market is our old friend and regular guest, Ingvild Sörhus, now of Oslo-based Vait. A warm welcome to you, Ingvild. Thank you, Richard. Let's start by talking about the COP. Um, what can we expect there? And can it have any bearing on Europe, in a sense, and the carbon market? I think that's kind of probably dragging a bit too far, that it will have an immediate effect. But I think it is an important COP because it's like the first review of the first global stock take. So really going into all the ambitions, see how much is missing to get us to keeping us below 1.5 degrees. Of course, it's no surprise that the policies and the NDCs or National Determined Contribution Plans, what's in there now, is not sufficient to bring us there. So it's more than that will form a bit of discussions of, of where do we need to tighten the measures. And of course, as every COP, it's also the important piece will be a lot about financing. So this year will be about operationalizing the Climate uh, Loss and Damage Fund, which is, of course, how to support these countries that is not responsible for the big share of the emissions that has happened in the past, but is suffering uh, quite a lot from the climate change that we currently experience and will experience going forward. But it's also the part where financing to move away from fossil fuels, move away, implementing the right decisions also in the least developed countries or developing world. Mm. So, of course, it's a lot about money. And of course, that's going always to be the big issue to channel enough money into the different measures. I mean, there is coalitions where you ask also to increase the amount of renewables worldwide, also to reduce fossil fuels and to phase out fossil fuels, or at least to have abated fossil fuels in the mix. So, of course, these issues will be quite quite key in all COPs, I guess. For the carbon market, there's also discussing Article 6, which is this missing piece on the, or how, how you can do exchange of credits or either between countries, between companies, so a bit the old Kyoto mechanism. And, and that is, of course, to get those things right is important because, of course, climate change is a global problem and you can do as much as you can in your own country, but always comes at the cost. And if you can do these, these abatement options in other countries mm. at a lower cost, that means you also can increase your own ambition if mm. you can then get funding and get a contribution for that kind of effort. The Article 6 is important to get right for countries or EU. It is a mechanism that you can actually use in the future, but then it needs to be foolproof. These sort of carbon credits that you talk about, potentially under Article 6, they've received quite a bad press. I mean, they're, they're still quite controversial. Is that something that will hold them back, do you think, the, the, the development of using these for country-to-country basis? That's why it's important to get it right, to get it to be a mechanism that countries can rely on and they can use. So it's getting all these rules right, 
because I think that was a bit of the problem that we had in the CDM era and also a bit on some of the voluntary the credits is that uh, at least for CDM then it was you thought you had a good a good system and then you discovered these loopholes you were trying to minimize the loopholes as you went through history um, and I guess for fair reasons it was a criticized uh, method in the end as well there were quite quite a lot of credits that came to the market that wasn't really emission reductions or at least that was questionable if there were additional and of course this is important if you say that I fund these abatement options, that it is counted in some way. And also it's important that it's not double counted. So for instance, that one host country is not including the emission reductions in their NDC if the buyer country is doing the same. Mm. So of course these issues are quite important to get solved uh, in a good manner because if you have the good mechanism in place, then it's easier for countries to say, okay, we are opening up for Article 6, either country to country or for companies within a specific country. Mm. So for those listeners who run, it's a long time ago, but it was the CDM is the clean development mechanism, isn't it? So under, under basically under Kyoto Protocol. So Ingrid, literally the earth is burning. We can see climate change before our very eyes. It's hurricanes, it's floods, it's extreme temperatures. And that must surely increase the urgency at the conference next week for, for policymakers at the global level to be seen to be doing something. Um, what's your view here? I mean, if, if we've had so many disappointments uh, over previous conferences. Could this be different? I don't know if there will be massive, um, could be like on the funding part, or we could see fast and firm countries are bringing money to the table. But when it comes to targets, we don't expect to see any surprises now. But this is more review of the uh, targets that has already been put in place by the national determined contribution, the target of each country. The whole idea under the Paris Agreement is that you bring to the table what you think your country can do and then to constantly improve that target until you come to that you have all the policies in place and all kind of measures in place to hopefully stay below 1.5 degrees. Although we've seen warnings that we're going to hit three three degrees soon and stuff. It's all very, very worrying. But fingers crossed that the, the COP28 won't be a cop-out. I think that's, that's the big hope here. But let's turn to carbon markets, your specialist subject, Ingrid, and, um, and especially the EU emissions trading scheme. Now, prices have retreated this year from a record high of just above 101 to a one-year low of just before 75 uh, euros a, a tonne. So what what's going on? What what's happening here? Yeah, I think it's uh, why we hit like 101 in the first place. I think we were all shocked like by the crisis last year. Europe was with the energy crisis and the, and the war in Ukraine. And we saw a lot of industry reducing their activities. So emissions in the UTS went down. And then after coming out of, uh, of, of the winter and then you saw the energy prices were retracting quite and gas market was stab- uh, coming down from from really high levels and there was some optimism that like on the economy side of things that we're done with the worst now it's uh, looking forward expected to see also increase in inactivity through across across Europe and also just before Christmas you had like the agreement on the fit for 55 so you knew that the implementation of the fit for 55 framework so adjusting the whole ETS directive for the new 2030 target was going to be implemented then from from January in 2024. So it was kind of a bit of a optimism around those things. And then 
it has been a struggle in Europe this year from industry production numbers, economic indicators that is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And also we see that's reflected also on the power sector, like demand for power or electricity. So, of course, we're looking at the year where we see emissions dropping quite, quite a bit. And I would say that prices have been holding up quite like surprisingly high throughout summer. And then when it first fell below 80, it was quite a lot of these bearish bearish factor that it struggled to recover. So so now we, I guess we lately we've been trading around like 75 to 80, but it's like struggling to to recover again. You say emissions, you expect them to fall quite quite strongly this year? Yeah. Uh, to, from what to what? Yeah, so for power sector emissions, we see emissions dropping around 20%. For industry sector, we are uh, seeing quite quite some a decrease as well. We saw quite uh, quite a decrease last year. Um, then, especially we saw last year that the chemical sector was hit quite hard. It's declining further, but it's other sectors that is taking more of the hit this year, like cement sector decline. Also, in steel last year we saw an increase in oil and gas, for instance. Now we see a bit of a decrease there as well. So across the board, we see decrease in in, in industry productivity. But is I mean th- these numbers are huge, really, in a historic perspective, and. If I'm not wrong, there are greater fallen emissions than in the year when we had COVID. Yeah, so that is massive. And and of course, when we got all out of the winter as well, I mean, in addition to the biggest impact on, on power sector emissions is the decrease in, in demand. But of course, we when we went into last winter, we expected gas to be priced out of the power sector mix for most of 2023. Of course, coming out of winter, then gas prices soften quite, quite fast. Already, like in end of uh, end of February, beginning of March, we saw that we were in the fuel switching range again. So, so also less need fossil fuel generation, but also switch from more polluting uh, fossil fossil generation to less emission intensive. So that came on top of everything. And then, of course, it has been an improved situation when you talk about France and the nuclear situation. Last year, it was much focused on the the lack of non, uh, non-emission non sources, which especially with the French nukes and, and the hydro situation, which, ha- which have been improved throughout this year. Absolutely. I mean, these are, but it's it's generally quite a bearish cocktail at the moment. I mean, if we look maybe into the medium and longer term, so by the end of this decade, the end of next, some analysts have said that climate policies should indicate you're tightening the linear reduction factor, you're making, putting in place very stringent policies to reduce emissions, but yet they're still struggling to, to get above that 100. And some have said we can get to 160 by by 2030, maybe 400 by 2040. What, what's your view in the medium and longer term, um, Ingrid? Yeah, so I think it's uh, right now it seems like the carbon market is struggling a bit to look a bit uh, further ahead. It is still about above or around like 75, 80 euros. And of course, without these long-term targets, longer-term tightness uh, going forward, we could probably have seen carbon prices at much lower, much lower level. And it's interesting because it has been quite a lot of focus on repower EU that they are injecting more volumes to the market next year. But it's also that next year will be the first fit for 55 year, which we see quite a lot of the tightening elements implemented already from next year. So. 
maybe like on the balance, we don't see too tight year next year and maybe not in 2025, but then it's really tightening up. Mm. So starting in 26, but Mm. 27, uh, it's going to be a massively tight year. So, of course, it depends when the market participants are starting to factor that in. Because, of course, then it's no longer repower volumes that will hit the market in 2027. Then it's kind of you used some of the volumes that were supposed to come in in uh, member states auction or innovation fund in 27, 28, 29 and 30. Then you start feeling the effect of that repower was kind of rejected in 23, 24, 25 and bit of 26. And at the same time, you have this linear reduction factor, which is quite strong uh, now, uh, year by year. It's tightening and it's going to be much tighter the years ahead. So it's, uh, yeah, so it's, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but could I just, if you could clarify what those repower Europe, what the, what the, what that is for those who may be unfamiliar and what the Fit for 55 measures that, that, that you mentioned there. Yeah, so uh, first of all, I mean, the repower EU was the answer from the European Union, uh, like as a response to the invasion, uh, the Russian invasion in, in Ukraine. So to how they made a plan on how to, wean itself off Russian gas and quicker or speed up the transition, the green transition, to avoid being that dependent on Russian, especially gas. So that was that was the big plan. And then, of course, the funding was some was unused COVID money, the recovery, resilience and recovery fund funding. And some, like, it was set that, um, a monetary measure for that the EUTS should contrib- contribute with. So then 20 billion euros of the funding should come from the sale of allowances. And how they did it was you said, okay, we will take part of this volume that will come from what was supposed to come from member states' auction volumes and also from the innovation fund. But we're not taking this year's volume or next year's volume. We're kind of borrowing from the future. So then you take these allowances that should have been auctioned at the later towards the end of this phase and you will offer them to the market now to raise this this capital mm. um, and at and the same time making the, the years further out even tighter as you mentioned yeah yeah even tighter so uh, so of course that I mean it's not felt as hard now but mm. looking a bit kind of further ahead that's also it would have been difficult anyway I mean it would have been tight anyway but that's making it even tighter. But th- that could explain that there's going to be increased supply in the coming months and, and certainly next year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, 86.7 million tons that will be added to the auction calendar for repower purposes. I mean, it sounds like a big number and it is a big number. Um, but looking at the daily auctions, it's not going to the German uh, auctions and the Polish auctions will be without these volumes are going to be considerably lower than what we see currently at the moment for the common auctions that's kind of offered in the uh, to the market three times a week it's only going to be like slightly higher than what we currently see a bit kind of bearish but it's not like i would wouldn't say that it's like massively bearish because yeah you asked me about fit for 55 as well so next year we will see the increase in the linear reduction factor which is quite quite big big as well and then we will see also because historically the emissions have been quite much below the cap Mm. and now they're trying to adjust the cap to be more in line with actual emissions Mm. and they will do it over two like two times so they will do like a first 
to off rebasing. Mm. Uh, so then you will reduce the cap with 90 million tons next year as like the first two off. And then in 2027, you will reduce it uh, a bit further, uh, 27 million tons. So it's mm. so it's these elements as well that is, uh, yeah. That are, these are significant as well uh, in terms of supply and demand balance. But it's clear that in recent weeks, investment funds have built sort of record net short positions on, on carbon. In other words, you know, they, they are heavily biased towards bets that the, the carbon market will, will fall further. What do you think this tells us? Uh, yeah, good question. I think um, I think the whole story for this year has been like massively bearish, right? Mm. But then also holding up. But now you see, it's, yeah, it's testing levels, it's testing new lows, mm. uh, breaking below uh, this year's earlier low. So of course, the it's quite bearish momentum. And then every week we see like the commitment of traders are coming out and it's like, yeah, everyone is looking at the investment fund positions. Are they built even uh, shorter positions? It's more mirroring what we see in the market, I would say. Mm. And of course, I think this economic outlook as well for for Europe. It's, I mean, we're optimistic in the beginning of the year and we know that's kind of going a bit further down the lane. It will be like quite tight for the UTS. So you need to have a carbon price to reflect the abatement cost that is needed. But of course, now we saw recently that the European commissions were downgrading their economic outlook for also for next year. So of course, it's this uncertainty, have we hit the bottom and or how low will European industry uh, go before we hit the bottom, bottom? So I think there's a bit uncertainty over where we headed into 2024. Are we talking about as similar lower levels? Are we seeing even lower levels for industrials or do we see any recovery? And I think this kind of uncertainty is also a bit playing out in the carbon market. Absolutely. And, and, you know, major economies are struggling, as you mentioned, industry and, and certainly German industrial production uh, is, is falling. Um, you know, and the key question is, can that get back to, to pre-COVID levels? Those are the crucial questions here, not just for, for carb market, for the bigger macroeconomic picture as well. But uh, Ingrid, what, what does this mean for your forecasts and, and your outlook for, for this year and for next? Where, where do you think prices are, are headed yeah, now, uh, I mean, currently it seems to stop a bit, at least finding some support around the levels that we saw in last uh, last November. I mean, a bit lower we saw were in, in October last year. So that so then we're like 67, a bit over 67, around 70, was staying there for a while before it bounced up again. Mm. But I wouldn't expect that we go any further below that because of these tightening elements, as you, we have talked about, and that will already start being implemented next year. And also we have to remember that we have the market stability reserve mm. that will respond to this year's lower emissions. Mm. A bit like we had in, in, in the COVID uh, year when everything was like plunging and carbon was holding up. And that was because, you know, kind of, okay, COVID has bearish impact on, on emissions in the EUTS, but that will be soaked up eventually by the market stability reserve. So this year's low emissions will be reflected in the the total number of allocation in circulations or the official oversupply number that is going to be published by the European Commission's in the beginning of June and made beginning of June next year. Uh, And of course, that will be reflected on the auctions from September. But at least this certainty that this will be addressed also the dip in in demand will be addressed by the market stability reserve should be a supportive factor. Mm. So 
if I can pin you on some numbers or a range, Ingrid, do you think? Yeah, yeah. you always ask ask about like these tricky questions. I I think we might be surprised a bit to the upside as well, but that we will go much above eighty. I'm not completely certain, but I think round eighty ish. I mean, there's a lot of uncertain factors, of course. And and if I could uh, continue to ask about some of the, maybe the fuel drivers here, we've seen, you know, we've had a mild autumn. There's been strong gas supply to Europe coming from Norway and from LNG. Europe's gas inventory is above 99%. We have even had days of net injections beyond 15th of November, something we haven't seen in the past decade. But eventually, we'll be in the middle of winter. But are we on track to see a, a lot less coal-fired gen- generation this winter than previously priced in? And if so, could we see a further slump in demand for allowances at some point? So the prices currently suggest that it's coal in the money for December and also most of next year. So that's a bit similar picture as we went into into winter last year. So looking at the, the fuel prices and the carbon prices on the forward curve, that suggests that it's coal in the mix. Of course, there is probably some, some risk premium for is it going to be a cold spell pricing. So of course, if we have another mild winter and we're coming out of winter with healthy gas storages, then of course we could see a switch again and have more gas or gas being in the money over over coal. So in that sense, it's, yeah, that could reduce the the power sector emissions for next year. Mm. And I mean, linked to that is, do you think we've seen a lot of an increase in geopolitical risk? You know, of course, there's there's the war in Ukraine. There's also the Middle East crisis. Um, do you think these have put something of a floor under fuel prices, despite sort of the gloomy macroeconomic picture that we've talked about? Uh, yeah, definitely. You saw, for instance, how gas prices were jumping on. It has been on news, News, for instance, if we have an outage in the Norwegian productions, you kind of see prices spiked when you had like the incident in the in the, between Estonia and Finland. So I think this is the nervousness that we have in the gas market. The geopolitical risk is a big factor that it, I think is factored in for the fuel fuels market. And of course... I mean, we are quite reliant on LNG at the moment. They will depend on the whole world, right, where where the demand is at the moment. So, so yeah, I think mm. definitely like the geopolitical picture is also, yeah, it's risk uh, or uh, priced in. And adds to a massive level of uncertainty in a very, already very jittery market, doesn't it? But I think just a final question there, Ingrid, and, and coming back to the COP, I mean, but talking geopolitics, do you think geopolitics will play a role here you have you know china us uh, russia different parts of the globe do you think that could play a role in potentially not reaching or, or lowering ambition in terms of a, a deal or agreement if whether it's uh, voluntary or mandatory of course that's a worry right i mean the deal is there already right with mm. the paris agreement so it's more these upping and increasing ambition. I kind of the pressure is to increase the ambitions year by year or at least for every global stock take that it should increase your ambition. You are reliant on cooperation to get as deep as you can. Also with also this cooperation between between countries as well is going to be like crucial to to get us there. The less cooperation there is, then it's kind of every man for himself and that 
what can you solve uh, solve by yourself? Of course, hopefully, there will be a focus also on on big economies. That is for the the good of the the economy and the country itself to increase ambition. We wish everyone was speeding up in a much faster pace than than they are today. Absolutely, let's hope that's at the bottom up pressure where people are are struggling in this this very warm climate that we're we're getting into it will will make a difference. But Ingrid, thank you very much for being a guest on the Montel Weekly podcast as ever. Thank you for having me.